Please take your Bibles with me as we transition back to our places and find your place again as we turn back to Psalm chapter 5. Psalm chapter 5. Tonight we'll be looking into Psalm chapter 5 and the title is The God Who Hears Prayer. The God Who Hears Prayer. As basic as this title is, one has to ask the question, if we as Christians are commanded to pray and expected to pray, why don't we pray more often? I think sometimes if we examine our hearts, yes, we believe in prayer. Yes, we believe in God. But there's times where the subtle weaknesses of the flesh, the fears in our hearts, cause us to question whether or not God really hears our prayers. It's as if God is scrolling on Twitter or he, wondering whether or not he has time for his children. Is he busy? Is he distracted? What Psalm 5 does for us is it reminds us as we see David pour out his heart before the Lord is God, is the God who hears and, and answers prayers. He hears my prayers. He hears your prayers. He hears the cries of his children. Now as we approach Psalm chapter 5, like the last couple of Psalms, Psalms 3 and 4, they've been distinguished in a couple of ways. Uh, as a morning psalm or an evening psalm. Psalm 3, remember the phrase where David said, I lay down and I slept, I awoke, and I found that the Lord had given me strength. He had watched over my life. He had sustained me. And so we call that an evening psalm, for example, a psalm, a wonderful psalm to read in your life at any time, but particularly is designated as an evening psalm, a psalm if you're reading right before you go to bed. Psalm 4 as well, David said, I will lie down and sleep for you, O Lord, make me to dwell in safety. So those would be called designated evening psalms in one sense, among other things. As we come to chapter 5, this is known as a morning psalm. You'll notice there are two times in, verses, in verse 3, in the morning, in the morning. So this is titled a morning psalm. So just for background context, it could be that this is a third morning, a third day, if you will, a third situation where in a short sequence of time, where David is still on the run from Absalom, but there's no way for us to be able to nail that down definitively. And so that is one view that, that the people have. Uh, bottom line, what we do know is that David is in a time of great trial. There is, there is great pressure upon his kingship and his person. Here in Psalm 5, we see that David is frail. Even though he's powerful, has mighty resources, again, in a time of great trial, enemies, enemies pursuing him, uh, dealing with different types of problems, David comes to God and finds him as his, his source and his strength. As we look at Psalm chapter 5, the question could also be answered, as, and this is a generic question, is what is the kind of person that God uses? David serves for us as a profile here of someone who is supremely God-focused. You could say God-saturated. David would be accused of by maybe carnal Christians or less godly Christians or no Christians at all, of being maybe too heavenly, uh, too heavenly minded to be any earthly good. Maybe that's a phrase maybe you've heard before. Friends, we get what people are saying when they say those types of things, but don't let them become ultimate maybe in your psyche and in your mind. Because as you look at David's prayer, this is on another level. David is praying um, in, a, in a supremely God-saturated way. He is fully devoted to God. And as we think about that question, who's the kind of person uh, that God uses? It's someone that is sold out for him, someone who has a high view of God, someone who has a passion for God, one who is focused upon the holiness and sovereignty of God. 
So we look into Psalm chapter 5. He is a person that loves God. And when you love God, you love what God loves and you hate what God hates. That's when your heart begins to become like God's. When God brings about a revival in your heart, you begin to see things in your own life that are what God hates. And you begin to see things that you've given way to or things that are present. You begin to look around and you begin to get a passion for God's perspective. And you say, God, I want your name to be vindicated. God, I want you to work. I want you to work in me. I want you to work in our nation. I want you to work in those all around. So as we look into Psalm chapter 5, David answers this question of who, what kind of person does God use? God uses someone who is completely bent towards him, inclined towards him, directed towards him. And as we've already pointed out a number of times, David is not a perfect man. But here, David models for us why he's a man after God's own heart, why the scriptures give him this designation of David, a man after God's own heart. This psalm, Psalm chapter 5, is an individual psalm. It is also called an imprecatory psalm, uh, a psalm of lament, because all of those elements are present and used here. It reveals a, a, a number of key things as far as categories when we look at different types of psalms. So what I'm trying to say is you have psalms of lament, um, imprecatory psalms, a psalm of David. Psalm chapter 5 fits a number of different categories when these things are mentioned, as well as being a morning psalm. One other thing we note just off the, the front burner is that this is a psalm of David when he is surrounded by many, many foes. And he gives him a threefold description by way of introduction. Notice there in verse 5. In his prayer to the Lord, he calls out and he asks for help regarding verse 5, workers of iniquity. Disinformation, verse 6, those who speak falsehood, those who are bloodthirsty and deceitful. Then in verse 8, he simply summarizes them as, as my enemies. So David will serve for us as an able guide as he, as he models for us how to seek God's face, how to pray in a time of, of great trial and depression or devastation or uncertainty. And one way that will help us understand this psalm as we walk through it is it consists of five stanzas. And notice very carefully here, in the first, third, and fifth stanza, as it's broken up, David is standing face to face as he prays towards God and he's speaking directly to God. But in the second and fourth stanza, if you're confused by who is David talking to, what is the audience? David is still speaking to God, but he's speaking to God in regards to the wicked. And then he makes a contrast in between the righteous and the wicked. Sometimes when you read these Psalms, you're wondering, what, what's go, who's t talking to who? Who's speaking to who? What's, what's taking place here? So we'll try to take note of that as, as we walk through. But this evening, I want us to begin in verses 1 through 3, where David begins a, a cry unto the Lord. And in beginning there in verse 1, he says to God, he says, Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my meditation. Give heed to the voice of my cry. My King and my God. For to you I will pray, my voice you shall hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning I will direct it to you, and I will look up. Here in verses 1 through 3, we see intense emotion and energy that David pours out before the Lord. The Holy Spirit obviously records this for us because not only is this a psalm of David, this is a song for the people of Israel to sing when they experience times of, of lament in the same way. Here we see in verse 1, he asks God to consider his crying out to him. 
Uh, secondly, in verse 2, he asked again the Lord to listen to his crying. And then in verse 3, he asked the Lord to hear his words and to hear his speaking to him. In verses 1 through 3, there's a lot for us to learn and observe in regards to prayer. Here you could categorically say, here is a prayer of David. Here is David's God who hears and listens to his prayer. And a question we could ask ourselves is, do we pray? Well, of course, we just prayed a few moments ago. But do we pray individually alone before the Lord? Do we seek his face? When times of great turmoil or criticism or threat come to our life, do we pour that out before men alone? Or do we go before the Lord? Here, David here gives us a great example of the king of Israel, threatened, insecure, running for his life as all ancient kings did. Everything was a threat. Every day was a day that your life might be taken. That is why they had uh, men who drank their drink before they would drink it. They were men who would, uh, the cupbearer, there would be men who would uh, eat of their food before they would partake of it. There was constant threats to their lives. And as we saw just back in Psalm chapter 3, those threats even came from David's own son. Here, David is the king of Israel. He has power. He has a military. He has influence. He has money. He has all types of means at his disposal. But here, we see David praying like a little child, asking his father to give him his face. You know what this is like, don't you? Especially if you've been a parent. Your children are, are not content with your ear. It's, they, they want to know you, you see them. They want to know that your eye is upon them. Look, Mom. Look, Dad. And, and they will keep calling out looking for validation. We, we get that. That's a normal part of a, of a parent-child relationship. Well, here David is, is seeking God's face in the same way. God, I need to know that you hear me. I need to know, God, that you don't think this is, is too small for you. I need to know, God, that this may even be embarrassing to me, but it's important to me. Here we see an urgent sense of need. Notice verse 2. A couple things we'll see about David's cry in verses 1 through 3 is David cries out to the Lord. He prays with an urgent sense of need. Verse 2 says, Heed the voice of my cry for help, you could say. He acknowledges something he knows that he needs. Verse 12, For you, O God, for you, O Lord, will bless the righteous. With favor, you will surround him as with a shield. So David prays in verse 2, this, this urgent sense of need, what his, his heart prays in verse 2, what his head knows in verse 12. Notice how the psalm ends. For you, O Lord, will, will bless the righteous. With favor, you will surround him as with a shield. God, I'm protected by you. This is a full body protection. This is a full body shield. At times, friends, our heads can know theology and can know truth, but our hearts begin to waver. Our hearts begin to doubt. Yes, we amen and affirm, and yes, mentally we can pass the quiz and pass the test. But here David models for us that it's okay to work through those things that we say we know and need comfort and security by God's presence, his ear and his face, his eyes, if you will. So what does David teach us here as he prays with urgent need as he cries out? What David is telling us is that by model and by example, God listens to our prayers. God works through prayer. We are expected to pray. God is delighted to hear our prayers, that we are taught to ask for help and deliverance, just like, like Jesus instructed his disciples when he instructed them to pray for deliverance from the evil one, from wickedness, from temptation. You'll remember 
The Lord's Prayer, the disciples' prayer, if you will, Matthew chapter 6, verse 13. What did Jesus tell his disciples? He told them and instructed them to pray. The true and better David told them to pray, Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us, O God, from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Friends, this is the point. This is facets of uh, the daily prayer of children of God. Those who are sojourning on this earth, those who are pilgrims on this earth, when threats overtake us, when bad news comes to us, when our security and those that everything was fine. Uh, this earlier today, I was just riding along the front drive here, and the water on the lake there was unusually, nobody was out there on it. It was just like glass. And that's unusual. This lake is very popular. There's, there's always somebody out there. But uh, earlier today, that was not the case, maybe because it was so hot. I don't know. But uh, I, it just caught my eye, and I thought, that, is, that placid lake just looks beautiful. It's like crystal. It's like sheer thing. And then all of a sudden, one rock can completely disrupt it. And that's what happens in our life. Different types of circumstances change. Things where we're comfortable, where we're used, our minds are wrapped around, this is the way things are. And all of a sudden, it is not the way things are. And so to hear David shows us a sense of urgency. He cries out to the Lord. But what else does this teach us? as well about prayer and David's prayer particularly. What can we learn here? Not only is there an urgent need, but as we look at David, there is a sweet communion that takes place here in, this, in verses 1 through 3. There is a sense of vibrancy and intimacy with the relationship with God. And um, since I'm the one speaking, I'll just share my heart with you. Oftentimes I envy David. I think, God, I don't feel comfortable like he feels comfortable with you. Lord, he's just so raw. He's just so real. Can you talk to God like that? And obviously you can. This is God's word. This is this Holy Spirit inspired. God wants us to know his truth. God wants us to know how his children before have prayed. What we see here is there is a sweet communion, intimacy that David has with God. Here is a man who begins his day with God. Two times in verse 3, as we've mentioned already, that he says, In the morning that I begin my day with you. This is a theme of David. That David had a priority to his life. He began his day praising the God who gave him life. For example, Psalm 119, is a, a verse 147, is among many psalms where David reminds us of this in Scripture. So, for example, he says in Psalm 119, 147, I rise before dawn and I cry for help. I wait for your words, O God. Here's the point. The pattern of David's life was seeking God first. And for David, that was seeking God early. Now, this is a theme if you take time to your, your Scripture reading plans as you just kind of work your way through the Scriptures. One of the things you'll notice is that the Holy Spirit doesn't command us. There's nowhere in Scripture where we're commanded that we have to have our devotions in the morning time. But we would be pretty ignorant to ignore the pattern and principles of God's people that you see in Scripture. And if you don't get another takeaway from me, what you see about this sweet communion is that it, it comes first. For God's children, their relationship with God begins when the day begins for them, cognitively. When it, if they get up at 2, and I'm being facetious here, whenever their day begins, the principle here is that they begin it with God. And, and I just want to give you a couple of scriptures of this. this. This speaks of a sweet intimacy that David has with God. Genesis 19, verse 37, Abraham is another example. Abraham rose early in the morning. Exodus chapter 8, verse 20, Now the Lord said to Moses, Rise early in the morning and present yourself before Pharaoh, and let him know that thus says the Lord, Let my people go. Jesus, Mark chapter 1, verse 35, in the early morning hours, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, he left the house, and he went away to a secluded place, 
and he was praying there. Sweet communion with the Father. The point would be this. What gets done first, usually first things or in the early morning hours, gets done. It's undisturbed. It's undistracted. We all know that as the course of our life goes on, the secret place certainly can be anywhere. It can be in your car. Your, your closet, your prayer closet can be on your work break, in, in a room somewhere, absolutely. But here's the point. Make it a place of priority. Make it something that comes first. Get along with the Lord. And that's what Jesus shows us. He had to leave the house for him. And he went away to the secluded place and began to pray there in the garden with his father. Friends, we have a need for communing with our God. There is nothing that gives us power and vibrancy to our spiritual life, boldness, than seeing the face of God before we see the face of man, than talking to God our Father before we commune and, and enter into, you could say, the noise of life or the noise of the world. As we think about this, this real quick, this sweet communion that God has, my mind paused for a second at my desk today, and I was thinking about many of the songs that we sing that give the same attention to this. For example, holy, 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 Lord God, Lord God Almighty, Early in the morning, my song shall rise to thee. That's a, that's a prayer and a thought of dedication. Early in the morning, Lord, I'm consecrated. I don't know. Here's the thing. David is, is praying in sweet dependence upon God. Don't miss the forest for the trees. The whole point is, is, God, I'm helpless apart from you. God, I need you. I don't know what lies before me today. I don't know what conversations I'm going to have today. For David, I don't know what kind of threats on my life and my kingship are going to happen today. We're not the king of Israel, but certainly the Lord by his spirit knows how to apply it to our lives. In the morning when I rise, in the morning when I rise, in the morning when I rise, what? Give me Jesus. Now we sing that. You say, what's the point? We sing that on Sunday, but is that our heart's desire? May the Lord help us to seek his face and say, Lord, do I seek you? Do I ask? Do, when I, in the morning when I rise, do I say, give me Jesus? And uh, hopefully that is absolutely true. Adrian Rogers used to say, I believe in the resurrection because every morning I experience it. And uh, he was, evidently he was talking about how he wasn't a, a morning person. And many of you might say, yeah, that's me too. But here's the point. Spiritually, does, does your heart long for the Lord? Do you see your need to commune with your God? So David's cry, it speaks of an urgent need. It speaks of sweet communion. But a third thing I think we see here in verses 1 through 3 is it speaks of submission and humility. Notice what David says there in verse 1. Give ear to my words, O Lord, and consider my meditation. And I want to draw this out because, again, David is king. But here, David is not like Saul. He's not like other kings who are ignorant of their delegated authority, you could say, who have a, a God complex. Here, David cries out to the Lord, his Lord. He confesses God as Lord. He confesses in his relationship to the Lord the lordship of God. He comes to the God who reigns in heaven. He says, you are my maker, you are my sovereign. I am king, but you are king of kings. So it speaks of submission and humility. Friends, do you want to be heard? Do you want God to hear your prayer? You must humble yourself. You must recognize who you're coming to. Yes, he is Father. He is Lord as well. And here David calls him Lord multiple times throughout this. Verse 2, you are my king, my God. On the next verse, O Lord. You can say it like this, David never forgot God's story of his electing grace and his call to service. David never forgot who he was, who he was talking to, and where he came from. David remembered what it was like to be a shepherd boy tending to the sheep. 
And now he is tending to the people of God as king. David never forgot God's call to service and God's equipping him in service. So he, come, he comes to God calling him not only father in a sense, but he calls him Lord. Here's another thing we see. He prays with a sense of expectation. Again, drawing on this facet of when he calls, that sweet communion comes in the morning. But it also gives us this idea, a sense of expectation. Verse 3, my voice you shall hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning I will direct it to you and I will look up. Some of you have heard the phrase when you send an email or something like that. I've got a friend who sends me an email and he'll say, keep looking up. Keep looking up. Certainly as Christians, we are looking for the Lord's return. But here in in David's prayer, he, he speaks of anticipation. Literally this word, I will look up, speaks of eagerly watching, eagerly seeking, eagerly anticipating something from the Lord, if you will. He anticipates God's face. He asks the Lord to hear him, and then he anticipates the Lord answering his prayer. He anticipates God's response. You can say it like this. David prays with expectation. David prays in faith. David prays in faith. Friends, I'm not trying to just, just consider it with me. Could it be that we don't see more prayers answered because we don't pray in faith? Oh, we pray. But do we actually think God's going to answer that prayer? Spurgeon had a young preacher who came to him one time and said, I'm just struggling. I'm so troubled that, that uh, Lord, when I, when I look at your ministry, Mr. Spurgeon, I don't see thousands coming to faith in Christ. And uh, Pastor Spurgeon looked at him and said, well, young man, I mean, how many, how many people are you, are you preaching to each Sunday? And the young man said, uh, you know, whatever the number was. Uh, I don't know. I can't even remember the number. And he said, and then Spurgeon said, well, you don't actually expect the Lord to save every time you preach, do you? And uh, the young man said, oh, no, no, no. And he said, well, that's exactly why you don't see anybody saved when you preach. Now, that's, there's a principle that's there that's helpful for us. You don't actually expect God to answer your prayers every time you pray, do you? Oh, no, 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 no. Well, then that's why we probably don't see more answers to our prayers. Friends, many of us have walked with God for many years. We seek his face. We pray diligently. We ask the Lord to increase our hearts, but do we actually expect him to do it? A couple weeks ago when we looked at Matthew's call to be a disciple, it's one thing to assent and to recognize what the text in the New Testament says, but what about us right here and now? What does discipleship in our life look like? We say, oh God, use me, make me a servant. Use me for your glory, oh God. And then he does exactly that. He sends people in our everyday lives across our paths, phone calls, and we see them possibly as interruptions. Oh, if I do that, I can't do this. Oh, no, that's going to that's gonna jack up my Saturday. Oh, no, I can't do this. Uh, uh. And yet we ask the Lord, Lord, use me. Make me a servant. Give me opportunities. Enlarge my coasts. And then the Lord certainly sends things our way and answers our prayers. And we've already forgotten that prayer of, quote, faith that we prayed earlier in the morning. Well, here, what David is teaching us is what it looks like to pray with an urgent need, to speak in sweet communion with the Heavenly Father, to speak in submission and humility, to pray with expectation and faith, asking the Lord to work in our, in our life. That's point number one. Secondly, I want you to notice uh, number two, David's conviction. In verses four through six, that we see that David shifts now, and he has a conviction where he is praying to the Lord, but he's praying to the Lord now about more explicit needs, those who are threatening his life. So begin, join me there in verse four. He says, for you are not a God, who take pleasure, who takes pleasure in wickedness. 
nor shall evil dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand in your sight, O God. You hate all workers of iniquity. You shall destroy those who speak falsehood. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and the deceitful man. Here in verses 4 through 6, we see David's convictions playing out. It is obvious that David knows the character of his triune God. Here David brings into his prayer closet all that he knows about God. And this is where the psalm becomes an imprecatory psalm, where, where, the, where David prays very explicitly that judgment be brought about against the enemies of God. Notice there in verse 4, he, he speaks very explicitly how God rejects the wicked, or you could say stiff arms the wicked. He says, For you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness, nor shall evil dwell with you. Secondly, there, verse 5, he, he, he points to God and he says, You are a God who, again, stiff arms, refuses the arrogant, those who are boastful, those who think they will stand before you and say, When I see God, I'm going to tell him a couple of things. These are those who refer to God as the big man upstairs, or those who give no acknowledgement to God. It says here, The boastful shall not stand in your sight, O God, for you hate all workers of iniquity. And then verse 6, God resists those who are deceitful. Here David is bearing his heart wide open to the Lord. Friends, do you ever pray in precatory psalms? It's kind of unusual. But here we have a pattern in the scriptures of David praying for judgment upon those who are his enemies. Here David appeals to not the love of God. Here David appeals to the righteous judgment of God. And friends, it's just a general reminder to us that, yes, this is the age of grace, and that is our heartbeat. That is what we're beat towards. We're seeking to win the loss. We're seeking to bring those into fellowship, into the family of God. But here, David gives us a righteous pattern, a praying for righteousness to prevail, a praying for the Lord to work. And he gives us an idea. It shows us how God deals with the wicked. And ultimately, in the day of judgment, what God will do to the wicked, those who have rejected him, those who have refused him, those who have resisted him. It's a reminder to us, listen, that no man is in hell, will be in hell, who does not want to be there. Men are in hell because they don't want God. Men are in hell, will be in hell one day because they have rejected God, refused God, resist God. So David brings this conviction of his almighty God into his prayer life. And imagine what it would be like to be king. For example, he, he speaks of how God resists the deceitful. This is obviously the things and people that David is, is dealing with. Verse 6, disinformation, those who speak falsehood. He says, the Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and the deceitful man. So one question I have for us is, does this sound familiar? Uh, throats that are, have, are like as open sepulchers. Well, it should sound familiar because in Romans chapter 1, and in Romans chapter 3, Paul invokes this imprecatory language that David uses here in the Psalms. And here in Psalm chapter 5, Paul uses the same language to describe the wrath of God that is on the, the, the world. Romans chapter 1, we're not going to turn and look at it this evening, but if you remember, that's that great condemnation, that great uh, kind of biblical worldview of setting before us the relationship that God has to those who harden their hearts against him reaping in judgment and reaping what they have sown. In Romans chapter 3, if you remember, he describes the wicked as those who, who says no one seeks after God. 
No one desires him. No one prays for him. No one loves him. Romans chapter 3. And here Paul uses that same imprecatory language that David is using here. Notice how he describes mankind. We see that full description there in verses 4, 5, and 6. These are David's convictions. So, again, it's, it's an awkward place to stop, but we're going we're gonna to stop right there. But, friends, I want to remind us as we kind of conclude this particular thought is that while we see a pattern of imprecatory psalms throughout the, the psalms, we're not afraid of those, we're not ashamed of those, but let's remind ourselves of God's calling upon us that our task is not to stay there. Our task is to seek to win the lost. Our task is in this age of grace, in this age of commanding, of going forth in the name of the gospel, teaching and preaching, making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The true and better David has given us that commission for the here and now. And yes, there's coming a day where God will judge the world in righteousness. And friends, if you're never disturbed, if your blood never boils, if you're never frustrated by the wickedness or the anti-godness that you see in the world today, that's a problem too. You should examine your heart. Do you have a godly jealousy for God's name, for his renown? And does that jealousy lead you to pray for your enemies as Jesus instructs us to do, to love them who persecute you, to seek after their well-being and to win them to Christ and to bring them to Christ? Because that's the, that's the, that's the tension that we live in in this day and age. And it's a constant tension. And if you never feel the tension, well, then maybe we need to talk more about that one-on-one. Because at times, sometimes we say, God, why don't I should be more outraged at that. I feel like I'm lukewarm. And friends, that begins to happen. We begin to get dull. We begin to get... Um, where we lose our sensory experiences spiritually. We hear God's name taken so many times that it just doesn't even bother us anymore. In fact, we may do it ourselves from time to time. We, we take up the sins of those around us. Well, here, friends, may the Lord remind us of what it looks like to interact with God, to have a balanced prayer life, but also to see it through the lens of the age of grace. May the Lord help us. Let's pray together. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you for your truth. And Father, we thank you for this prayer of guidance as we have a a peek into the private prayer life of David. Father, we pray that you would make us bold in the fear of the Lord. Lord, we pray that we would be God-saturated, that we would have a God-sized presence in our life, that that would be known. There would be a flavor in us, Lord, that is present to all who see. Father, would you give us a heart of compassion, a heart that breaks for the lost? Would that lead to, Lord, action? and verbs and words as we share the gospel of Christ with them. Father, at the same time, may we have a godly jealousy as we think about the reign of the King who's coming, the reign of Christ. Father, would you give us a zealousness of searching our own hearts more than we search anyone else? Would you show us our sin? Father, we are humble and frail and sinners who are saved by grace. Would you give us a heart that has a sensitivity to your Holy Spirit and your truth? Father, would you help us to reclaim the priority of seeking you in sweet communion early, first, above all things. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.